You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. Now, here's Doug Robbins. Uh, you guys can go ahead and take a seat. You know, every week we have such amazing worship that it, we could tend to like take it for granted. But let's just, sometimes it's great for us to just say, hey man, thank you, Lord, that we have a group of worship leaders who aren't just like doing a gig or performing, but they're actually their hearts are for God and they're worshiping him. They're true worshipers, you know. And in case you're coming for the first time today, we've been in the midst of a study of the last book of the Bible called Revelation. And last Sunday, I shared some very personal things about my own life and some of the things that I'd been going through over the past year or so. And so many of you have reached out to me to encourage me. And I just want to say thank you for that. You know, it's one of the greatest privileges of my life to be your pastor. And so thank you guys for the way that you guys have reached out to me with love and prayers and support. If you didn't see last week's uh, service, go back and watch it on YouTube or listen to it on a podcast or whatever. But I'm just very grateful for you guys this week and your outpouring of love towards me and my family. But as we study in Revelation, it can be kind of intense sometimes, can it? So I asked uh, some of our team members here at the church to show me some of their favorite apocalypse memes to lighten the mood just a little bit. And so I thought I'd show you these memes. Now, before we look at them, don't expect them to be like wildly hilarious, but some of them are mildly funny, okay? So let's play along here and look at the first meme there. Uh, During the apocalypse, you gotta learn to cut costs, don't you? However you can there, cut the uh, roll of paper towels. And then the second one is uh, Will Smith, I guess, going to Costco like a legend there, venture out. And then the last one was my favorite because it has a picture of a raccoon on it. You know, people are making jokes about the apocalypse like there's no tomorrow. Get it? No tomorrow. So that was kind of fun for me. Uh, And I like any meme that's got a raccoon face on it, right? As you know, we like having fun here around City Tribe and we like to encourage you most of the time. But you know, when you study the Bible, can I tell you that there are things in the Bible that force you and I to deal with the harsh realities of the past, the present, and the future. And if you wanted to come to a church where everything is zippity-doo-dah all the time, you probably picked the wrong place because the Bible doesn't allow us to do that if we actually read it and study it for what it is. And you know, as we progress through Revelation, uh, things are getting a little crazy as we get to chapter 6. We're going to see the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, and this week we're going to be looking at the first six of the seals. So, you know, we'll have to hit the seventh seal later on in the game, but I want to show you a chart that gives you a feel for when some of these things can fall on a timeline of end time events. Of course, you can see in the left-hand side, the cross of Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross to pay for our sins, he rose again from the dead and instituted the church that we're living right now in the church age that we call the space of grace. That's where God's offering his grace to people. But then at some point in the future, we don't know when, We believe, I believe, that a rapture is going to happen where God's people are caught up together with him in the air. Now, there are people that disagree with me about the rapture. There are people that I respect that disagree with me about my whole outlook of the book of Revelation. And I outlined some of those viewpoints at a previous talk that you can go back and listen to in the introduction to Revelation. But... uh, 
for, for today, I'm just going to tell you that the rapture, I believe, is going to happen at some point in the future and then seven years of tribulation. Now, the reason I wanted to show you this chart is because as we start studying the six seals that we're going to cover today and later on the seventh seal, I believe those seals are going to happen. Some of them are going to happen during the seven years of tribulation, but I think other ones of the seals actually are happening today. Uh, so I'll make you aware of that as we go through the different seals that we're going to study. But one of the things that's important to understand about our viewpoint as we go through Revelation is that we're not studying these things so that we know how to out-argue our Christian friends about the rapture or on theological discussions. But really the point of all this is so that we can be prepared so that we can right now live with the end in mind. You see, that's what we've said throughout this entire series is that we want to live with the end in mind. And a part of my preparation for these talks is I read and I reread the passage that I'm going to study and I meditate on it and I ask God to show me stuff in it. And one of the things that I notice in the particular passage we're going to be looking at today, Revelation chapter six, is that John repeated a phrase three times. Now, whenever a Bible writer repeats something, it's significant. And what John repeated was, he constantly said, look up. He said three times, look up. It's like he wants us to keep looking up. And so I want you to turn to someone next to you and tell them no matter how bad things get, keep looking up. Go ahead and tell them. No matter how bad things get, keep looking up. Uh, and today, uh, we're going to see John look up at the first six seals. Now, when we talk about a seal in the Bible, what are we talking about? I mean, we're not talking about the semi-aquatic sea creatures that jump through a hoop at SeaWorld, but rather, we're talking about the wax seals that would be placed on an ancient scroll. I brought a picture of one of those, and you don't know what's inside the scroll until you remove each one of the wax seals, you see? So will we know what's in the scroll after we remove one seal? No, we won't. Yet we'll have to wait to a future teaching here in a couple of weeks where the seventh seal is removed before we can see what's in the scroll. But this week, every time John removes a seal, an event happens that he sees in his vision. So one of the things I noticed about this text is that it actually offers some encouragement. Let me show you why. Because God is not surprised by the events that are going to happen in the future. He's not surprised by what's happening right now, and he's certainly not going to be surprised by what's taking place in the future. In fact, God's calling his own shots. Some of you who are baseball fans remember the old lore about Babe Ruth, you know, where he called his shot, where he was going to hit a home run in, you know, a World Series back in the 30s. Well, God is doing that. He's calling his own shots because he's completely in control, and he's not calling his shots in an arrogant, trash-talking manner, but he's calling his shots so that you and I can be prepared. God's trying to be helpful here in telling us. He, he, he doesn't have to grandstand about how big he is. He already knows that he's a big deal, you know, so he's just trying to be helpful, helpful for us to get us to keep looking up. Now look, of the seven seals, four of them are associated with different horses or different riders of horses. You've heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Well, we're going to see them 
today. And if you want to do further study on the four horsemen, you can go back to Zechariah chapter one in the Old Testament. He's an Old Testament prophet who used a similar language. And so John is borrowing language from a previous prophet named Zechariah. But look at the first seal. It's a white horse. And we see the white horse in Revelation chapter six, verse two. He says, I looked up and I saw a white horse standing there. Its rider carried a bow and a crown was placed on his head. And he rode out to win many battles and gain the victory. Now there's a lot of discussion in theological circles about who the rider is on the white horse. And there are people that I respect that disagree with me on this, but, you know, they they have a right to be wrong about stuff. And so, you know, uh, I believe that the rider on the white horse is Jesus. And the reason I believe that is if you keep reading Revelation, you'd see in chapter 19 that it's clearly Jesus in Revelation 19 on a white horse. And I believe that transfers back to here. And what I think's going on here is Jesus with his church on what's called, I'll call gospel conquest. Now, when I say gospel conquest, I'm not talking about a military campaign of a bunch of church people that are trying to take over the world and Christianize it through forcing people to believe. It's not what I'm talking about at all. But what I'm talking about is the church, the people of God during the the church age, the space of grace that we're currently living in, we're trying to spread good news through service and the message of Jesus' death on the cross to pay for people's sins. We're trying to spread that good news all over the world. So look at what Jesus said about it in what's called the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. You'll see a lot of parallels between Revelation and Matthew chapter 24. Let's go to verse 14 where Jesus said, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached through the whole world so that all the nations will hear it. And then what? the end will come. See, it's connected to end time events. Then the end will come. And that's actually taking place right now. The gospel is spreading everywhere. According to the Center for the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, right now, Christianity is growing faster than the world population is growing. There's a couple of different kinds of Christianity that's growing. Pentecostals and evangelicals are growing the fastest and still picking up speed in growth around the world. Atheism has peaked, and many experts believe it's gonna see a pretty significant decline in the coming years. Christianity is growing in cities, but not fast enough to keep up with the growth of populations in cities. That's why we're here in the heart of the inner city of San Antonio, because we wanna be a part of the solution there. And the center of Christianity has moved to the global south, to Africa, South America, and the Asian countries are gonna pass Europe in the coming years in terms of the number of Christians. Now, I looked at another source, and that is called Operation World, which explains that Iran is actually the fastest growing uh, country of, of new believers. In fact, it says that 20 years ago, the number of Christian converts from a Muslim background was between 5,000 and 10,000 people. Today, it's between 800,000 to a million people. That's massive growth. And that one took me by surprise, right? But I wanna show you the next seal. And I believe this next seal we're gonna look at, the second one, the red horse, is actually gonna take place primarily during the seven years of tribulation. 
period. We see the red horse in Revelation 6, 4. John says, then another horse appeared, a red one, and its rider was given a mighty sword and the authority to take peace from the earth. And there was war and slaughter everywhere. And so I think it's obvious, he, he states it directly, that this red horse represents war. And we have seen wars all throughout history. There are wars going on right now. But I want to show you what Jesus says about this in Matthew 24. Go to verse 6 with me. Jesus says, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. Some translations will say and rumors of wars. But don't panic. Okay, those two words there, it's actually more than two words because it's don't, you know. Don't panic is a good message for people today, isn't it? Will you turn to your neighbor and tell them don't panic? <laughs> don't panic, right? So Jesus says, yes, these things must take place. But look at what he says next. But the end won't follow immediately, see? Because what Jesus knows is that there's always been wars. There'll always be wars. Right now, did you know that there are 40 wars going on in our world? We tend to just think about the ones we see on the news, you know, and the conflict in Afghanistan and all of that. But what John's talking about here with the red horse in Revelation chapter 6 is way beyond the kinds of common wars that we see going on right now. Peace, it says, will be gone from the earth. And here's what I believe about this, is that when the believers are raptured up to be with the Lord, there won't be peacemakers left on the earth. And you can see how people are so hard to get along with these days and people are less tolerant of each other. I think it's easy to see when people don't have the motivation of Christ to cause peace on the earth that this whole world will go into chaos because people will be given to the red horse of war, it will come. And so I think we gotta take a time out at this point because I know that a lot of us see all around us that peace is fragile, isn't it? It's fragile in the world right now. Um, and we can have an internal peace even if the external peace seems to be waning. But remember what Jesus said? He said, don't panic right? We don't have to be alarmists around here. Can you imagine how people felt during World War I and World War II? They thought the end was coming. Can you imagine how people felt in 1948 when Israel became a nation again, thus fulfilling biblical prophecy from the Old Testament? They probably thought the end was going to happen at that time. There will always be wars and rumors of wars, but we don't have to panic, Jesus says. We can keep looking up, can't we? And so why don't you tell your neighbor again, hey, no matter what craziness is going on, keep looking up. Go ahead and tell him again. That's good. And so I believe this next seal, the third seal, is going to also be during the tribulation. And this is the black horse. And we see the black horse in Revelation 6, 5. John says, I looked up and I saw a black horse and its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice from among the four living beings saying, a loaf of bread and three loaves of barley will cost a day's pay. And don't waste the olive oil and wine. And this seal basically represents a jacked up economy and a famine. The economy is going to have significant problems in the future. And when you think about it, um, the wealthy are going to become more greedy. 
There's going to be a bigger gap between the rich and poor. We can see that in our country right now, right? There's a bigger gap these days between the rich and the poor. But you know there are rich Christians around the world who are very generous with their resources. Think about when all the Christians are lifted out of the equation and the only rich people left are the greedy ones that don't want to share with the poor. And I think James has something to say with people who have the mentality of stinginess in James chapter five, verse one. He says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that's coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. You've hoarded wealth in the what? Last days. He says, look, getting interesting, James uses the same language as John, look, The wages you fail to pay, the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You fatten yourselves in the day of slaughter. See, isn't it great that we're not living during the hyperinflation of the black horse? Are we? Isn't it great that right now we're living in the space of grace and we don't have to panic because bad days are coming. And I can tell you this, that there will be people that will believe during the tribulation. There perhaps someone in this service, if it happens during in our lifetime, you don't get raptured up because you'd not yet believed. And you're going through these tribulations and you're like, I remember hearing from the book of Revelation and I'm seeing it happen and people will say, why didn't I believe back then? I could have been raptured up and I'm stuck here, but people will believe and it's gonna be hard times to endure. But thank the Lord that we have every opportunity now while we're in the space of grace to avoid it. But look at the fourth seal, it's the pale horse. Now that color pale in the Greek language is the same word we get our word for chlorophyll. And so it's actually like it's describing a pale or an ashen green color. It's the same color as like a dead corpse. So the pale horse represents death through famines and plagues and violence. And as we think about plagues right now, it's a little bit sensitive for us because we're in the midst of a form of a plague, are we not? And so as I talk about this, I know it can be quite sensitive because a lot of us have experienced the loss of life and people that we love and we care about and they're gone because of a plague. And so what I'm about to say, I want you to understand I'm not in any way minimizing the losses that many of us have experienced, but can I tell you that when this pale horse comes, it's going to be way worse than what we're experiencing now. We know that plagues or pandemics come pretty regularly. They occur basically one or two every century. I'm sure a lot of you have done research on, you know, read about the uh, Spanish flu pandemic in 1918, and then it had a resurgence in 1919. And these things come. Um, So what we're experiencing right now is not unusual according to history. But either way, our response to plagues has got to be one that is uh, in alignment with the church age where we reach out to serve and love people who are suffering in the midst of plagues. And so with that in mind, I got a call last week from the CEO of Methodist Metropolitan Hospital here in the downtown area. 
And he told me, Doug, you know, a lot of our healthcare workers early on in the pandemic, everybody was saying, you're heroes, you're heroes. And now everybody's tired of the pandemic and no one wants to encourage them. And he said, our hospitals are overrun and healthcare workers are really tired and they're really discouraged. And I said, what can we do? And so we came up with an idea to have what we're going to call a still heroes walk. And it's still heroes because we're saying to healthcare workers, those in the room and those at Methodist Metro, that you're still heroes to us. And so on a Tuesday night, August the 31st, from 6.45 p.m. to 7.15 p.m., we're going to be marching outside the hospital with signs that say, you guys are still heroes. We love you guys. We want to encourage you guys. And we want to pray for them as we stand outside the hospital. And the reason we're going at that time is because that's when people change shifts. They change shifts at 7 p.m. And so we want to be there for them when they're getting off work and when they're going to work. And you can go up there with your church tribe group. You can go up there with a group of friends and hold up a sign just to encourage some of our healthcare workers. Because, man, they're really, really knocking the ball out of the park and really, really going through a difficult time. So we want to be the group of people that encourage them and uh, helps them to see that they can still look up. And you, you'll get more information about this Still Heroes Walk on our website and through our social media. And so if you're not following the social media platforms, you know, Instagram and YouTube and all that, go ahead and follow those so you can get the most up-to-date information about that event. And so let's take a look at the fifth seal. And the fifth seal is related to the martyrs, those who have been and will be murdered or killed because of their faith in Jesus. And I can see this seal applying not just to the seven years of tribulation, but also to history today and all throughout history. You know, earlier in Revelation, we were studying the church of Pergamum, and we saw this guy named Antipas who was murdered because he was teaching the gospel of Jesus. Antipas was placed inside of a bronze bull and roasted alive, killed to death for his faith. And he was killed at a place called the altar of Zeus. And some of you remember that teaching in which the altar of Zeus was actually moved to Berlin, Germany for Hitler's use in the midst of his persecution of people and his genocide. Um, So if you want to go back and look at that talk, you can certainly do that. But we see Antipas and others crying out in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10. The martyrs are saying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge the people who belong to this world and avenge our blood for what they have done to us? Then a white robe was given to each of them and they were told to rest a little longer until the full number of their brothers and sisters, their fellow servants of Jesus, who were to be martyred, had joined them. And we've seen this happen all throughout history, have we not? You can go back and read Fox's Book of Martyrs, which tells the stories of historic Christian believers who have been killed for their faith. You can go to voiceofthemartyrs.com website if you want to see people who right now are being persecuted for their faith, some of them even dying. You can remember in your news feeds from a few years ago when 21 Coptic Christians were beheaded by ISIS because they dared to say that Jesus Christ is Lord. And many concerned, many are concerned right now for Christian believers in Afghanistan. Are we not? 
I read an article in the Washington Post about a Christian family in Afghanistan appealing to the Pope to help them flee persecution. And one of the guys interviewed in this particular article was a guy named Ali Asani. And he said, I know firsthand how difficult it is to be Christians in that country. I lived through the terror of these Taliban. And this is a guy who, when he was a little boy, he and his brother were fleeing Afghanistan when their Christian parents were murdered by radical Islamists. And so this is going on right now as we're sitting here in church. And lest you think that it's just happening across the ocean somewhere, I want to show you the story that probably got buried in your news feeds and uh, a lot of people perhaps didn't see, but it was on local media. And this is the story of Troy Demetrius Lee. Troy was stabbed to death on the inner city streets right here in San Antonio when he was sharing the gospel with people. Troy was out helping people here in the inner city like that could have been any one of us because I know many of you are so faithful to serve right here on the streets of inner city San Antonio one guy that Troy administered to said the people he was out there reaching were those ones lost gang banging in and out of prison selling drugs east side south side west side you name it he was talking to us and Troy left behind his mother who loved him. He left behind his wife and little child because someone wanted to take his life for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I felt like it would be appropriate for us to just stop the train for a minute and just pray and pray for Troy's family. This happened this summer. And pray for believers who are right now scared for their lives in Afghanistan. So let's pray. God, we pray for Troy Demetrius Lee's family, that you would bring comfort and healing in their lives. And we pray for the brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, some of whom are currently missing, that you would give them courage and most of all, give them your protection and presence, your presence there. And Father, if we are at some point called upon to suffer because of our faith, we pray that we would do so with a courage that is honoring to our good Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Now, before we look at the sixth seal, the last one we're going to be able to cover today, I want to ask you a question. How do you think it makes God feel when his kids get murdered, when his kids are, are killed? I think you already know. And I think it speaks to the passion and how ferocious God is for you, his kids, that he loves so much. And he's going to finally have had enough. And he's going to stop it all, the sixth seal. It's a judgment of natural disasters. So you see this judgment of natural disasters in Revelation 6, 12. There was a great earthquake and the sun became as dark as black cloth and the moon became as red as blood. Then the stars of the sky fell to the earth like green figs falling from a tree shaken by a strong wind. Verse 14, the sky was rolled up like a scroll and all the mountains and islands were moved from their places. And I believe this is only going to happen during the great tribulation. I don't think that, that there's anything like it we've ever encountered. In fact, we don't even have anything to compare this to. 
that we've experienced because it's going to be so severe. And one of the things that that text tells us about this judgment of natural disasters is that there'll be no place to hide. There will be, you know, middle-class people, poor people, and rich people who cannot hide. In fact, the rich and powerful there's nowhere for them to go. The Bible says that they will be calling for the mount, crying out to the mountains to fall on them and kill them because they want to try and hide from the face of God Almighty who's bringing these natural disasters and judgments upon the people on the earth who have killed his kids. As I was reading this and reading about how no one will be able to escape I mean, it doesn't matter if they're privileged and rich and have a helicopter, there will be nowhere to go. And it made me think back to 2005. I was doing relief work after Hurricane Katrina and I met a guy named Leonard Fleming who had been displaced from New Orleans to San Antonio. Uh, he was a guy who had been a street performer in New Orleans, but he was retired from that now, and he was kind of scared and alone. He was here, and we got to talking and enjoyed each other's company. And this guy, Leonard Fleming, he wrote this little song after what he experienced in New Orleans, the hurricane. And by the way, by telling you this, I'm not saying that Katrina was like God's judgment on the city of New Orleans, but it does give you a picture of what God could do if he wanted to, right? And that was what Leonard was writing about, is what God could do. And you know the title of his song? The title was, You Might Get By, But You Can't Get Away. It's like, hey, you may be getting away with it right now. You might get by, but Leonard was singing, but you can't get away. It's like, you can't get under God, he's too low. You can't get over God, he's too high. You can't get around God, he's too wide. You might get by, but you won't get away. And that's exactly what Revelation 6 tells us. And if you want to hear the rest of Leonard's story, we were able to reunite him with his adult daughter who came to pick him up. And I remember he was just so relieved when his daughter came to get him and to take care of him uh, from that disaster. But as I was thinking about this, it reminded me of some of the pictures that were just kind of burned in my memory banks from the newsfeed this past week. Some of you perhaps saw the picture of a lot of Afghans clinging to an airplane desperate to escape the Taliban. And when I saw that image, it really made an impact on me. I just thought, man, what must be going through their minds that they'd be willing to like hold on to the landing gear of an airplane? And some of them, you saw the footage, people like plunged to their deaths because when the landing gear came up, they just fell. You know, And then you juxtapose that with this next picture I'm going to show you. 640 Afghan citizens huddled into a U.S. Air Force C-17. And you think about how relieved these people are that they made that flight. They're just like, oh, we made it. I mean, they saw the pandemonium around the airport. And like, somehow they're just really, I made the flight. I made the flight. And I think about sometimes when I come back from foreign countries, you know, uh, I'm always relieved when I board my flight and I know I'm going to get to come home. But the relief that these people are experiencing is like on way on another level 
right? They're just so relieved they made the flight. And the reason I showed that to you is because right now, I have good news for you. We're in the space of grace where we have the opportunity. God is merciful and he wants us on the flight home. In fact, he wanted us so badly on the flight home that he purchased our boarding passes with the blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. We can be encouraged. He wants us to feel the relief of being on that flight home. And let me show you what Paul said about this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9. He said, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, do what? Encourage one another and build each other up. So I want us to wrap up today by encouraging each other and building each other up. So I want you to turn to the person on either side of you and tell them, keep looking up. No matter how bad it gets, keep looking up. Go ahead and tell them. Good. Keep looking up. That's good. Someone's passionate about it. But check this out. Hey, we're not done. Let's encourage each other some more. I got one more for you, and then we'll be done. I want you to turn to someone next to you and tell them this. I heard you tested positive. Positive for being awesome. Go ahead. (laughs) Hey, you guys tested positive. You're positive for being awesome. I love you guys. Let's pray together real quick, and then we'll wrap up. God, we thank you right now that we live in the space of grace and that you loved us so much. And if there's anybody that you want to adopt into your family, Lord, I pray they just look up to you and say, look, I believe Jesus died for me and died for my sins and rose again from the dead. Welcome in my life, God. And we're so grateful that you give us that grace. So we thank you for what you're doing among us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, um, as we wrap up today, next week we're gonna be in Revelation chapter seven. And in that chapter, we're gonna see washed in red. You'll you'll wanna make sure and be back for that. Now, uh, when it comes to the financial or giving part of it, if you're not a believer, don't buy into all this or just checking this out, this service is our gift to you. Don't feel stressed about that. Those of us that want to make sure that people have their boarding passes, um, we, we invest in it because we realize that the stakes are high. You know, the, the, this is not a game and people's eternities are at stake and that's why we bring what we call, the Bible calls a first fruit or first priority tithe or tenth and above to the storehouse, the church where people are coming to know Jesus. And the, in case you're new here, we, so, so we don't pass buckets or plates or anything like that. Here's how to get it done. There are four different ways. You can mail your offerings into the P.O. Box number or text to tithe, or you can go to the in-person giving stations located near the exits, or you can donate online at citytribe.church slash tithe. So we're so grateful for your generosity in that. And before you worship through your generosity, let's stand up together and receive these words of benediction over you as we wrap up today. Dear brothers and sisters, as you walk from here, no matter what you're experiencing or have ever experienced, you know you can keep looking up. And as you go from here, go from here being a source of encouragement to the people in our world that are freaking out. And you can say, hey, look, there's no need to freak out because Jesus said the very words, don't panic. 
keep looking up. And so go from here and encourage others who are so stressed and so uptight because they don't have the peace of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Encourage them to keep looking up into the eyes of our good Lord Jesus, who is freedom, who is peace, who is love. You guys have an amazing Sunday. We'll see you next time. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.